Greetings, live music fans. Welcome to Live Fix Radio. This is Chris. This is Colleen. And we want to welcome you to a very interesting show we have for you today. Uh, hope you enjoyed the last episode where we shared with you lots and lots of live music recordings. I know uh, Colleen has been listening to that podcast over and over and over and over again because she enjoys so many of those uh, artists that we had on there after that amazing uh, dive into the history of uh, Bob Marley's very last concert. So, but this show, we have uh, a little bit different adventure planned for you guys today. On Live Fix, as you probably are already aware of, uh, we have lots of partners and cool things that we talk about that um, concert fans enjoy. For example, we've reviewed uh, Vmoda headphones, uh, blue microphone, bloggy, uh, Sony bloggy, uh, flip video cameras, things like that. Things that basically concert fans use to record their concert memories or you know share their favorite concert moments with their friends on social networks, stuff like that. So uh, gadgets, all kinds of stuff we review on, on the show, so uh, on the blog. And on today's show, we're going to get into two, uh, two areas, uh, one... Um, is uh, related to our hearing, because what's more important than, well, actually there are many things more important, I guess, when it comes down to it, but our ears are a very, very important or key factor in uh, our level of pleasure for uh, our concert experiences. So we're going to get into uh, ear love and uh, edemonic uh, research and their earplugs and earphones. And then we're also going to talk with uh, one of the partners that are on the blog. If you go to livefixblog.com, you see in the right column there, we have a little little widget there that's a little helpful tool for concert fans. It's a concert listing put out by thrillcall.com. And we're going to talk to Courtney from Thrillcall uh, in uh, in just a moment here. Uh, We talked with her uh, earlier this week and asked her about some of her music experiences. She goes and reviews shows and posts us on the blog and then she kind of you know she'll take us through some of the details of uh how thrill call is set up and why it's a good tool for concert fans venue owners artists all that kind of stuff so we'll get into that um but first uh what we're going to do is get into some to some news it's uh it's been a busy busy last couple weeks as it always is i mean we're, we're in the middle of music uh, is just a busy busy industry it, there's it, always something going on it, it never sleeps it's an industry that never sleeps you know, especially live music, because we're in the heat, uh, and I'm not just saying that because it's summer, but it's, well, actually, I am saying that because it's summer, I, I don't know, but anyways, music festival se- summer music festival season is in full swing. Uh, Coachella has, has wrapped up, and they've already, already announced uh, a couple weeks after that they're going to expand, uh, Coachella's going to be expanding to two weekends uh, next year, so that should be uh, quite... Quite an wow! Experience so are they expecting that. people to camp for the whole week, or are they thinking that people are going to just pick one or the other weekend? Yeah, they're, they're thinking that people are, you know, they're they're, they're hot. I mean, they, uh, according to reports that that I've read, you know, on Billboard and other uh, blogs and music sites, and you know, on the Coachella website itself, you know, they had a really successful year with, uh, you know, the 2011 uh, festival. So they're they're expanding. They're they're not uh, not shrinking. You know the, uh, the the festival size, which kind of makes sense because last year Lollapalooza was the first year that they actually expanded twenty thousand uh, 
you know, capacity as well. It kind of moved, you know, widened out that festival from just a little skinny, uh, not skinny, but they, they expanded basically. So Coachella's doing the same thing. They're doing that. Uh, and so maybe eventually uh, it will be up and down um, Michigan Avenue and they'll just have, you know, bands play inside the different buildings. We might. The famous buildings like Marshall Field. Well, it's actually not Marshall Field anymore, Macy's, but right. um, North Face, you know, some of those big, the Willis Tower, maybe they'll actually have concerts in the It's possible. Inside, you know, I will right? never I will never forget, and I always keep a note of these things that get said. One of the very first times that, uh, you know, I covered Lollapalooza, and I was in a press conference uh, with, you know, Perry Farrell and a bunch of other music magazine people, and uh, he was joking you know, it sounded like he was joking, but he said, you know, he wants Lollapalooza to to go after and, and you know world domination. You know, he wants to achieve world domination with Lollapalooza. That was his, you know, uh, direct quote. Direct, direct <laughs> quote. It might be paraphrased a little bit, but the world domination was was in there. You know, and I, I kind of chuckled at that, and we all kind of laughed and chuckled. But we got Lollapalooza in Chile, or Chile, I should say, uh, earlier this year, and it's growing, growing, growing. So. If it were to expand in Chicago, it's really, it's just part of the master plan, basically, of Perry Farrell. And, and I wonder how is... many concert fans would really travel uh, that, that far just to see music. What do you mean? You know, um, the Chile? Well, yeah, Ch- yeah, or Italy, or Australia, or wherever they decide to, Japan, wherever, wherever they decide to relocate or, or start up Lollapalooza. I, I wonder if, you know, some of the States folks, the United States folks, would... would travel to go to these shows and festivals in different places it's it's amazing i mean when we go when we go to Lollapalooza and we start talking to the fans on the grounds i mean i've talked to people who you know are coming from all places uh, all four corners of the of the globe of the world you know to to come to experience Lollapalooza and the bands and all that kind of stuff and the culture of chicago because again you know there's really nothing better than seeing a live show on the lakefront Chicago with that skyline. It's one of the best places to see a a live concert. Can you imagine Lady Gaga with pyramids behind her and Pyramids behind her? I mean... (laughs) If she was performing in front of the Sphinx in Egypt, you mean? That would be cool. I wish they could do that. Well, Daft Punk actually came out of a pyramid a couple years ago in Lollapalooza. So one of the most memorable moments on uh, Lollapalooza history, which uh, is is an excellent segue to... One of the other news uh, segments, um, Lollapalooza, obviously it's celebrating 20 years this year. Big, big milestone. Uh, they have a website that is uh, soliciting concert fan stories. And at the time of this recording, you have about a day uh, to, get that, to get those in because uh, Perry Farrell himself, he's probably got some people helping him out, but he's going through all the stories and they're picking one fan, one lucky fan, to uh, win a, a full expense, uh, fly them out there, you stay, get complete VIP treatment, put you up in a hotel, plane trip, all that kind of stuff, backstage, all, all that, all, all the, the nice... So it has to know. be an actual experience that they had at Lollapalooza, or just a live music experience? No, it has to be what's... related to Lollapalooza. So okay. if, you go, if you go to Lollapalooza.com and you, and you, uh, you follow the, the links for... Um, uh, actually, if you go to go to livefix.com you know we have livefixblog.com we have all the all the links there and we have some uh, some notes on some of the stories that are there and i've you know been really amazed that uh, some of the the chronicles that fans have posted 
you know, from 1991 when Lollapalooza first, uh, you know, was a traveling road show, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, a, it was actually a going away party for Perry Farrell's you know, band. Sure. You know, sure. Jane's Addiction. You know, it was kind of, you know, one of the things. And it just, I actually was a fan, you know, and I did yeah, attend well, you, one well, of you the... you were there. I did. I did attend yeah. one of Lollapalooza's. Um, and it was a awesome experience. I mean, I, I don't know how to explain it anymore. There was just back then. It, again, it was um, all the great bands in one, and I know Jane's Addiction was there. Um, you know, there was all kinds of. I remember Snoop Dogg being there. You know, there was all kinds of different different bands, and so I I loved it. It was great. I love that traveling aspect because um, it, it seemed to get talked about longer. You know, it just seemed to because it traveled it's like you know you you heard about it in you know a few months prior a month prior you start hearing about it which now it's just it's kind of the build-up to what's going to happen and then it happens and then you know it's over so yeah yeah and that and that that the way you just described it right there was actually one of the fans had written about how in 91 they kind of heard about it and then they got 15 of their friends this is a a teenage uh, the person at the time she was a teenager and she was recollecting how it was coming through Houston, and they had to travel out just outside on the outskirts of Houston because the, the festival wasn't like it is today. This big, huge thing is taking place in a metropolis. You know, it was it wasn't really it was kind of a fringe kind of festival. Yeah, you know, and it was I remember kind of like a, a lot, freak, kind, of, kind of a freak show. A lot more you know? kind of one-hit wonders. Um, a lot of bands that sort of up and coming. Um, that just, you know, they kind of fell off the map after they toured. So, and it's just, and I remember it being more Jane's Addiction focused, that type of music. Like, there wasn't as much eclectic um, music and picks that there is now. Yeah. Um, It was just kind of the same uh... category, and it was the same type of, uh, kind of, I don't want to phrase anyone, but the Q101 listeners kind of mentality. And uh, so that's, yeah. That's kind of how it was. And yeah, the alternative. Alternative. You know? Alternative. It, Chicago's you alternative know? scene was big at that time. Yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, you, if you've been to Lollapalooza, go check out LiveFixBlog.com and, and the show notes here. I recorded the concert news section, and you'll see uh, links there where you can go check out and read all these different uh, stories of Lollapalooza. Uh, and then uh, the next news item we have here is, um, you know, it's, it's a mix. It's a mix of good and, and bad. You know, and and it really is something. Uh, it's involving a story uh, at Bonnaroo, um, which happened a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was following. You know, we we have never been to Bonnaroo, but we've you know we talked to people that's there, and it's it's a a, a different different kind of festival. You know, it's obviously a, a camping festival. And what happened was uh, on January 9th, on um, that Friday, you know, I was watching uh, you know the Facebook feeds and the Twitter feeds and kind of keeping an eye on what was going on, and I saw that one uh, one f- uh, couple, uh, two Bonnaroo uh, attendees, had actually tied the knot. They got married uh, at the witch stage, uh, W-H-I-C-H, because Bonnaroo doesn't have any sponsored uh, stages like Lollapalooza does with mm-hmm. the brands and stuff like that. They have funny names for each stage, and this couple got married. Uh, their names, you see what their uh, their names are. That's very interesting that someone would choose to, uh, they, they must be huge fans. Yeah, Sarah and uh, Harley Autry tied, okay. tied okay. the knot. 
you know, it's been huge fans. Congratulations. Um, you yeah. Know, I, I'd yeah. love to, to hear and interview them and, and get an idea of, of what that experience was and what the preparation was for that. Did they have to contact uh, the promoters or how did that work? That'd you know, be I, I don't know. Here. Yeah, I don't know the details, but we will we will try our hardest here on Live Fix Now, was there like a, a preacher or was there someone... Ceremonial person kind of doing. There was the a ceremony? ceremony. Yes, there was. Yeah, okay. we have the, we have the YouTube video that you can watch on Live Fix because wow. uh, I saw it and I was like, wow, this is interesting. Then as Do they the, have lyrics as part of their. They did <laughs> no. It was, it was it was low key from low from, key. from what okay. I saw. Okay. Uh, and then you know as the weekend progressed, the next day, you know as as sad as this as this is, they found a 32 year old woman uh, dead uh, mm. in her in her tent. And, you know, they don't know um, the cause of death at this, at this point. You know, and this is not the first time that somebody has died at Bonnaroo. There's been other deaths, uh, you know, reported. Uh, some are drug-related and some are, you know, other, um, you know, unique uh, causes to specific health reasons for the fan, that particular fan. But uh, so one fan, you know, was found dead uh, Friday, uh, that Friday morning. And then a couple days later, on Sunday, another report came across the newswires of another fan who had uh, died of hypothermia, and he was actually airlifted, you know, to um, to a hospital. And there, there's a, a forthcoming toxic uh, toxicology report to determine the, the cause of death. So, um, and that's uh, you know, it's not we don't like reporting that kind of stuff, you know. But one of the things with these with that Bonnaroo story is that. It's really fascinating to think, you know, within the live music experience, kind of what we talked about two episodes ago, where the concert fan emotions, you know, the concert experience is such a dynamic uh, environment with, with emotions and people are having all types of experiences, you know, and it just... Internal you know, and external, and we, and we talked about that, and so right. this could this could be many causes. Um, it could be a natural cause um, or it could be, you know, unnatural, so... Uh, definitely sorry to hear. It sounds like there was celebration, but um, within the shadow of that celebration, there definitely was uh, death. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, you know our thoughts and condolences go out to the to the families, and uh, you know as always, we will continue to keep everybody updated on those on those two stories and anything else that's that's going on at uh, at these festivals because there's a lot of fans going to these things and. You know, a lot of, uh, tends to focus on the music. Uh, you know, we, we we like to keep the keep the radar and uh, you know the spotlight on on you guys, on the fans, and see what's what's going on. So we'll continue to report on that for you. So and there's a we have a whole bunch of other you know news uh, types of uh, uh, you know, stories that we're reporting on. So you can go to livefixblog.com, check all this stuff out. So Colleen, now it's time to get into uh, into the first part of our show here. And uh, what, we're, again, what we're talking about in our show is uh, gadgets, you know, things that people like to use, uh, you know, specific, obviously, concert fans, uh, earplugs, earphones, mobile devices. You know, we're going we're gonna to have more shows like this as we go along. So this is the first one where we've kind of, do, you know, dove into to two different types of um partnerships and, and uh, tools that concert fans... And things that will you know, change your experience. You right. know, will make your experience even better than it already is. Yeah, yeah. And that's why we do these. You know, we, we, we want to uh, talk about 
gadgets that uh, enhance your concert experience, challenge it, uh, you know, help you get more out of it, all that kind of stuff, help protect your body, help, you know, so you can enjoy concerts longer uh, and get more out of them. So the first one is uh, we're going to uh, talk with, uh, share, a, share an interview that we did with uh, Courtney Rizzo from Thrill Call. And uh, she's got an interesting, you know, we talked about Thrill Call and kind of the story behind it from a development standpoint, a relatively new um, startup company based out of San Francisco. And uh, she also, you know, we, we talked about some interesting things, you know, about uh, she writes about her concert experiences and posts those on the Thrill Call blog. And she also has an interesting story about uh, Coldplay. She... Uh, shares a you know a, a unique uh, encounter that she had during concerts you know with them kind of unexpected so uh, we'll uh, get into that now and then after our uh, chat with Courtney we'll come back and we'll get into uh, ear love and etymonic research so thanks again and we'll see you guys in just a bit for joining us on the uh, the podcast here so um, if you could uh, start out by telling us kind of what uh, you know what's the general mission that you guys have with uh, you know with Thrill Call and kind of how how did you guys start and you know what's the what's the background of what you guys are you know are doing yeah um, basically the general mission of Thrill Call is to be the best service for live music fans and basically we give music fans like inside scoop on local shows in their area um, when tickets go on sale 
Um, also, all the dates of any artist tour, and we also give away free tickets to artists, you know, really helps out people when they may, might not be able to go because they can't afford it or something. So we really just try to be all-encompassing and um, serve every genre and every interest. And so basically, the user will tell us what they like and where they live, and then we give them all the information they could need to give them the best, you know, option for a live music experience. And uh, how did you guys come up with the, you know, with the concept behind Thrill Call? You know, was there a research uh, process you guys did? Did you interview concert fans, or can you can you explain a little bit about how, you know, how the development was, you know, for for the mission and you know the actual? You guys have a product called uh, Nucleus and all that kind of stuff. So you kind of can you kind of explain how you guys developed, uh, you know, the company yeah, itself sure. and, and you know all that stuff. Yeah, I think that there was a kind of a general lack in terms of, you know, something that took the entire music scene and put it in one place. Like, you know, you can go to, to certain sites or this site and buy one ticket to one show, but we really wanted to give someone the ability to go to place and find an entire tour and be able to buy tickets right there. Um, and then also we provide a way to track artists and their future shows. And when a user clicks track future artists, we'll automatically notify them when someone is coming to their town. That way they don't have to, you know, constantly keep checking back. Like we kind of do that for them, um, just keep them informed. Um, and as far as Nucleus goes, that's um, another project associated with Thrill Call. And basically, it's, it's like the only social media publishing tool out there that's really designed specifically for music owners. So that means like venues, artists, and artist promoters. And a lot of time, first of all, also publish their upcoming live music events on Twitter and Facebook and MySpace all at once. And also onto our onto our so it makes it a lot easier than having to, you know, update all these different social media sites and that way they can keep their fans informed as well. So and I mean I actually um, I use Nucleus uh, for myself when I'm doing all the thrill call updates for Facebook and Twitter and MySpace. So Great. Can you uh, you kind of explain a little bit uh, already? Can you explain a little bit more uh, how how Nucleus actually you know works from a you know from a fan perspective? If someone had never used it before, can you kind of explain like why they would want to use it and kind of how it can make you know their concert experience um, you know better uh, you know kind of uh, you know improve it and kind of some of the you know help. You know, solve some of the annoying things, or you know, kind of. How, how does it make it better for you know for concert fans? Um, I think because, like I said, it's all about information and getting the information out to the widest audience possible. So, I think it just allows fans to you know, kind of I guess interact more one on one with the the bands and the artists and. You know, a lot of users, as you probably know, are using Facebook and Twitter, and and that's how they stay up to date. So, um, if we can provide an outlet for a music promoter or a band to reach that audience, like in a very simple and timely manner, then it's going to make it, you know, more efficient for everyone. 
Great. What was the, what was some of the you know the big challenges that you guys faced? I know the you know, the concert industry is um, you know uh, is a really complex you know area environment for bands and fans. You you have a lot of you know a lot of hands in the pot as far as the money goes. You know as far as scheduling, you know promoters and bands and fans, all everybody interacting. You know, kind of in one spot, and uh, you know, some you know people want to make make money, some people want to be entertained, and all these kind of things. What are, what were some of the biggest challenges that you guys faced? You know, in developing Thrill Call and Nucleus, and you know, launching it, and you know, and uh, and promoting it. Um, I mean, every startup has you know <laughs> the trouble of getting their name out there and getting people to recognize that this is a really good product that will really benefit them. So, I mean, I think we face those challenges just like anyone else. But, I mean, in the past six months, um, we've made such huge leaps and bounds, and we've reached so many new fans. And, you know, people are really talking about us now, not only in the Bay Area, but also, you know, around the U.S., because we do serve all of the U.S., and we're actually working on um, – going international and, you know, fixing and working on some of the stuff to get, um, like, U.K. venues and stuff like that. Yeah, so you guys, uh, I don't know if we mentioned this at the at the beginning, but you guys are based in San Francisco, correct, in the Bay yep, that's Area? correct. And mm-hmm. um, you guys must have did a bunch, you know, some initial testing uh, uh, there, and then you're, you know, you've started to kind of branch out uh, to different, different markets and uh, different... Um, you know, kind of live music scenes from there, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's correct. Great, great. Uh, I know we were, uh, we've been, you know, uh, trading emails back and forth, and, and I've uh, uh, enjoyed a lot of your. Uh, you guys have a, uh, a thrill call blog where you do a lot of the writing. I think most of it, if I'm not correct, um, you know, on there. And uh, you uh, you write about concerts and uh, different bands and interviews. Uh, really great, great place to discover music. Um, what are what are some of your favorite you know live concert experiences? Maybe that you've written about on on the thrill call blog or just experienced you know throughout uh, you know your your concert adventures. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for mentioning the blog. I, I really, I, I love having that as an outlet. And I work with a couple writers closely who submit pretty, you know, pretty standard content. Basically, um, so oh, yeah. Basically, I mean, I love writing about my concert experiences. I think. Like, my most recent one was about the U2 concert that I went to, which was here in Queens, and that was just a blast. <laughs> there were so many people. It was absolutely crazy. But, um, so that was definitely a highlight, the most recent highlight. But, um, I think my most favorite, uh, memory would be I went to a Coldplay concert a couple of years ago, and it was out in Wheatland, which is in Northern California. And, um, I was on the lawn skating. That. All right, uh, Courtney, we have uh, we have you back. So you were you were telling us about uh, about your Coldplay experience before uh, before we lost you there. So uh, can you uh, can you re, uh, re- revisit that uh, that story for us again? Yeah, sure. Um, basically, I went to a Coldplay concert about two years ago, and it was in Wheatland, which is Northern California, at a really nice, like, open um, outdoor arena. And I was sitting on the lawn seats, and you know, I, it, they cost about fifteen bucks. And I really just wanted to hear them and and be 
you know, at the concert. So, but it wasn't the best piece. <laughs> so anyways, about halfway through the concert, it just went completely black. And um, all of a sudden we see these microphone stands like being set up on the lawn, which was, you know, literally 10 feet away from us. Mm. And then next thing you know, Coldplay is like there. <laughs> and so it was like being on stage or having, you know, front row seats, which was such a great thing for them to do for, you know, all the fans who had to be far away from the stage. So that was definitely amazing. Wow, wow. Uh, um, so that was, just to give it kind of a little bit of a context, that was, what What year was that concert? Uh, I can't remember exactly. It was about two years ago, I think, pretty sure. Okay, great, great. And uh, so the, the the way that this venue is set up, it, uh, it has uh, pavilion seats and then and then lawn seats, just so I understand. Is that kind of how that's yep. set up? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. So what... Um, what what kind of things were going through your mind when you were, you know, uh, you know, watching that, um, you know, that concert and, you know, kind of the whole, that whole scene unfolding? Can you kind of take us through, you know, some of the things that you were thinking about and, you know, what uh, what that was like? Yeah, I mean, Coldplay has always been one of my favorite bands. I just really I love their music, and. I mean, this, being able to be 10 feet away from these international rock stars, you know, they're huge, was pretty, pretty important, and I felt very lucky. I think that's my the biggest emotion, is I just felt very lucky to be there, and then also to just be so close, you know, it's always a huge deal, so. Nice. Did you try and reach out and touch uh, Chris Martin at all, or uh, did you try and I did not. do that? Or did anybody, uh, you know, did they have people like around him, or you know, like around the band that kind of prevented people from uh, you know interacting with them in that way, or was it kind of very loose? Yeah, they they had a couple of security guards, um, and you know, that's. There was nothing really like intense that happened. You know, people were pretty respectful at the concert. Um, but it was it was great because this was actually right after Michael Jackson passed away, and they ended up singing kind of like an acoustic version of Billie Jean. And you know, people were just going crazy, and it was it was really special. Wow, wow, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. I, I always remember too a lot of different uh, uh, shows. I was at a show that was right after Michael Jackson had uh, had died, and mm-hmm. it was just a completely different experience. You know, it was uh, kind of like a group mourning kind of mm-hmm. uh, experience. Yeah. So it, uh, I mean, it must have been special to have have that yeah. kind of going on right in front of you, and you know, have that all uh, kind of unfolding. So that's awesome. That's a that's a great uh, great, <laughs> great great story. Um, now the the next thing I want to ask you about was uh, you know we mentioned before that you write about music you know live music and you know you chronicle your your experiences on the Thrill Call blog. Um, what uh, what do you like the most about that, or what's what's the most challenging thing about you know trying to you know, put to words what you experience and, you know, what what do you love the most about writing, you know, about your live music experiences? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I've always been someone who journals and who writes, you know, about my own personal experiences in my life, and I have ever since I was little, so, um, but it's, it's interesting to do it for, you know, for a company and to be able to use those resources and, 
used that brand to be able to interview fans and stuff and then be able to put that on a blog. Like, actually, the most recent interview I did was yesterday, and I interviewed Champ, which is actually a Chicago band you might know. Mm -hmm. um, they're, like, electronic um, and indie. So, I mean, it's really great to be able to have those resources and be able to honestly do things and go places I never thought I would, I would do just as a freelancer. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say that that's what I think. <laughs> Great, great. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely a you know it is really a, you know a challenge to to you know to write about live music. Uh, what are what are some of the things that you know that inspire you? You know when you're um, like when you're writing about music, uh, do you take notes during the show? Do you do it? You write. Uh, what's the process for your uh, for your you know your uh, your writing process for uh, you know, for writing about the music that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, usually I, I take notes and keywords and just on my cell phone, like I don't bring paper or anything. Um, I just take notes on my cell phone using keywords of things that are, you know, just the way the atmosphere is mostly and maybe a certain song that they played that was really important. Um, but I really try to go to shows for artists that I'm really passionate about and you know, for all the guest bloggers that I have on, I want them to do the same thing, you know, so I want, like, I really just want to make the blog about, you know, passion and people's interest, and they're always going to be different, but the great thing about Troll Call is that we service, you know, all genres and all cities, so I think there's something for everyone, and I want it to keep growing and building, and eventually I would love to have, you know, guest writers in every city talking about, you know, a show that they just went to, or... Yeah, I think they just—that's what I like. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. If if there was, uh, you know, one review, um, I don't know if you, if if you have this uh, this issue though. If you go back and, you know, kind of look at your, you know, your reviews, you know, and the experiences you've had, um, you know, if there was one review that you could go back and, you know, maybe add on to, or you know, maybe something that you didn't write about initially, and you you'd want to kind of like expound on it or you know re-explore it. You know, in writing, uh, which which show, you know, which, which review that you've written in the past, would you go back and, and do that to? Mm -hmm. Um, I think in May, I basically I went to the Lika Lee concert. She's the Swedish artist, and she was touring, and all of her tickets have been sold out. Um, so she came to San Francisco, and you know, I got there and. Like certain things happened where I had to leave before she even came on, <laughs> so it was it was kind of tough because she's one of my you know all-time favorite artists. So basically, I you know the next day I just bought whatever ticket I could, which happens to be New York Central Park. So um, I'll be going to that in August, August first. So I think I'll definitely add on to that and you know talk about the contrast of experience um, in all different ways like venues and location and um, just my emotions, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic. So uh, uh, this is the this is the part where uh, you get to tell everybody where where we can go to uh, you know to find more about uh, th uh, Thrill Call and and everything. Uh, where, where where can people go to uh, to find that out? Yeah, well, our main website is just thrillcall.com. It's all 
one word, um, and that's where you can sign up to track artists and you know search for tours and what shows are coming to your city. Um, and then the blog is blog.thrillcall.com, and that's where we review shows, we interview artists, and um, and then we also have a Facebook and a Twitter and a Tumblr, which is you know we love interacting with fans and they post photos of of you know shows that they go to, so it's it's a really nice way to interact with your community. Yeah, excellent. Uh, it's been fantastic uh, having you on the on the podcast here, and hopefully we can we can have you back on, and uh, you know you can fill us in on uh, Leaky Lee and uh, let us know how how that goes and any other any other insights or anything about it uh, about your experiences. So uh, thanks again, and um, we will uh, check back with you real soon. Thanks, Courtney. All right. Thank you. Welcome back to the Live Fix podcast. I hope you enjoyed that uh, chat with uh, Courtney Rizzo from uh, Thrill Call. I know it was, uh, it was great hearing that story about when she talks about um, Coldplay playing that acoustic version of Billie Jean. You know, when she mentioned that, I thought back to our experience. You know, we were at Rock the Bells uh, two days, three days after Michael Jackson died, and that was just like the whole, you know, um, the whole, t- you know, the whole tension and uh, you know that sense of mourning group mourning you know with with, with that you know um well, we yeah. also were around a lot of djs and um, hip-hop artists that sampled i mean michael mm-hmm. jackson's music is so um widely sampled amongst that community um and i just it that that's where i saw the mourning come because uh there you know the rappers um, were rapping over some of his stuff and um, I think even some of them kind of mentioned it in, in some of the raps and um, kind of improvised and did some freestyle with him involved in that. So um, that's when you know, you know, art really works and music really works because uh, you, it starts to mimic mm-hmm. what's going on in our culture and what is going on in pop culture, um, you know, underground culture. Um, maybe your local culture, uh, art starts to express that if it's good art. Right. So we definitely saw that that day. I think on a future episode, too, I'll, I, I, during that interview and even uh, listening to you talk now, I think you know, we'll, we'll definitely get into you know, the, uh, the concepts and you know, some of the experiments with uh, grief uh, during the actual concert experience you know, and how certain bands and certain fans and uh, certain songs are played in, in those environments can trigger different emotions inside fans uh, kind of unexpectedly. You know, I've heard stories about that. We've talked about that before. Uh, so I think we're going to get into that very soon, you know, in future, uh, mm-hmm. future shows. So, 
Um, thanks again to Courtney and Thrillcall for making time to, to talk with us. So now we're going to get into our second uh, second interview. And before we do, though, um, I want to tell you guys a little bit about uh, Ear Love and Edemonic Research. Um, when we were in South, we were at South by Southwest, and we had a chance to meet uh, Carolyn Travis, who will um, you'll hear from her in, in just a bit during our interview. Um, great, great, great opportunity we had in South by Southwest to meet her and talk with her, and uh, you know we said we told her about the podcast and kind of what we're doing, and you know um, the audience we have for concert fans, and, and I said to her, you know, the ears of concert fans, we, we care a lot about the ears. Of concert fans, and you know, we wanted to test some of these out, you know, and see because I know I've forgotten my earplugs before at a show, and uh, you know, Colleen, you're right up, you know, as a photographer, you're right up next to those uh, massive speakers and the pounding and the, you know, the pummeling of of the music on the ears. You know, it's a, it's a, it can be a dangerous situation. Yeah, and you know? I think you know me, along with all of the photographers I've spoken with. I mean, you tried to cover your ears. I mean, that's the number mm-hmm. one. Um, responsibility, I guess, as a photographer is to make sure your ears are covered, make sure your ears are... And you can kind of tell the, the newbie photographers because they don't have that. Um, ones that maybe this is their first show or they just haven't done a lot of work, um, they don't typically have the ear earphones in and they learn very very quickly in the pit to make sure that they invest in them. And um, I've used Ear Love um, and I, I love them. I mean, I thought they were... They were um, outstanding. They, I was able to hear the music. You know, part of being a photographer is, um, you know, I enjoy what I'm, I'm hearing, what I'm going to. And I want to be able to be in the pit, not feel like my ears are going to blow off, you know, and, and be damaged, um, my eardrums. But I want, you know, I, want to, I also want to be able to hear the music. Because I go to so many shows, if, if I couldn't hear the music, um, I don't know how much of it's worth it, you know, to do what I do. So, um, so I would check these out. If you're a photographer, please use them. Uh, you know, I, I okay them. I think they're great. Um, I actually, matter of fact, I'm going to get a few pairs. Um, I currently have one, but I'm going to get some more just because, uh, you know, you lose them or you put them in, um, you've got a couple camera bags maybe. And, um, and so you, you know, always want to have access to them. So, um, I'm giving it a, an A plus. So. Yes, uh, I, I echo that. Um, I know. I, I guess we, we would uh, both agree, you know, because what what they do, they're high fidelity earplugs, and they uh, you can get them actually custom fit. And one of the things that uh, Carolyn did when we came up to the booth to talk with her, you know, we said we were interested in testing them out and telling uh, you guys about them. You know, she kind of looked at our ear and. You know, and she, oh, here, here's a, you know, here's a pair. And she pulled out, you know, kind of a right size, you know, for it. And um, I, I put them in uh, right before we, we went and saw Janelle Monet at uh, one of the venues there at uh, in Austin. And I thought they're awesome. I mean, I, I've i used foam plugs before, regular foam plugs. And it's like, I can't hear the music with those, you know. and But I don't want my ears to get trashed, so I have to put them in. I've used the ear-loved ones, and uh, my ears are protected. And I could hear the highs, the lows, the bass, the lyrics. I could and you hear, can't really you know? clean the foam ones. You know, the thing with the yeah. foam ones is, you know, they're not very um, durable. They don't last a long time. you got to go through them. And, and they, I think there's parts of your ear that they don't really cover. Yeah. And I found that that was, you know, um, you know, having, you know, the next day not hearing great. 
Um, I've realized that I, you really want something extra that applies in your ear that fits your ear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, you know, I guess we give uh, two two ears up, would, would we say, or uh, our, our rating. So uh, two glowing ears, two healthy, well, at least I think we have healthy ears, thanks to your love, you know. Uh, we've used them at every concert since South by Southwest. They've been fantastic. And the other part is that um, I actually you know, have been testing out. They have earphones, so uh, if you have MP3 player, you have iPod, Android, uh, whatever you have. Uh, Edemonic Research actually has the um, HF. Uh, make sure I'm saying this right here. The Edemonic HF2 is actually the earphone version of uh, the earplugs we were just talking about. And they are by far one of the best noise-canceling earphones that I've, that I've heard. I know I have them in my, my desk uh, while I'm working, listening to music, and uh, Colleen uh, is calling, and uh, you know, I don't really hear her very well because I have them in. And um, I've tried them in other situations, and we're going to have a, a little bit more thorough review of them on the blog. Uh, you can read read more about them, but uh, the HMF2, definitely uh, ones to, to get. Uh, they work great with Android. I have an Android um, uh, phone, and I also have uh, I've used them on iPod Touch uh, as well. So they're, they're definitely uh, earphones that... Uh, Definitely worth your worth your money uh, if you're enjoying music and you want to protect your ears. You know, there's other earphones out there that are more music based. They're not so much into protecting your ears and and working with how your ears designed. But Edemonic does a fantastic job of combining high fidelity and the noise canceling um, qualities, uh, all that stuff together. So that's that for now. Again, you can go to livefixblog.com, check out kind of a full more review on all that kind of stuff. But we're going to get into the interview now with Carolyn Travis, and I'm really excited to share this, this interview with you guys because we talked about a lot of things that I've been curious about, and I know as I've talked with other concert fans at shows and just kind of in passing or whatever that, um, you know, I asked her some of those same questions that come up when we're talking about ears, you know, and, and uh, protecting our ears at shows and some of the trends and some of the impacts uh, connecting to a previous show we did on emotions, I asked her to explain how, you know, hearing loss. Because Carolyn Travis, she's um, she's partially, uh, you know, she she lost her hearing uh, so right around her uh, when she was 35, as she explains. So, and she became a hearing advocate and started her own company, uh, Ear Love, and then partnered with Edemotic Research, and she's the hearing uh, hearing loss uh, advocate. Uh, for them, it does some really, really great things um, in the music community in Chicago. She'll, she'll explain. But um, here's the interview with with Carolyn, and then uh, we'll come back after that. Uh, we'll hear some music. Uh, she, Carolyn's also a, a musician, a trip hop musician that she plays, and she's managed a band, a Chicago band um, uh, called Poor Dog Pondering that we've also interviewed before, and it's uh, it's a great story. I hope you enjoy it, and we'll uh, talk to you. Uh, on the uh, flip side of the interview. My own personal struggle with hearing loss started 
when I was 32, I just, you know, some friends kind of asked me, do you end up hearing call? I'm like, no, why? Well, you're always turning up your phone and saying what. So, like, the very next day I went and I had my ears, um, my hearing tested, and it turned out I had, you know, some hearing loss, but not as bad as I have it now. Um, and at the time I was working in the music business, I was managing Shubas. Um, and maybe a year after I found out I had hearing loss, I went to work with Koi Dog to be their manager. And about a year, now maybe three years after I worked for Koi Dog, then I started DJing like three nights a week. Um, regularly, like I had a residency three nights a week, and so I was just in the club, like all week long, four or five hours at a time with the monitors blasting, and you know, I knew I had a hearing problem, but I really, I didn't really do anything to protect them um, as much as I should, and they just got worse and worse until um, finally the audiologist said, okay, now Carolyn, you're legally deaf. <laughs> what are you going to do now? And that meaning I couldn't, I didn't pass my speech recognition test, so they would read words to me and I, and I, and I failed. I couldn't understand what they were saying. So that's about that time, um, um, some of the, the fine folks at Etymotic approached me. My original audiologist happens to be the director of audiology at Etymotic, and, and she said, you know, you have this problem, you're a DJ, you work in the music business, you should share your information and, and, and try, you know, get on board and help other people protect their hearing with um, what they call their ER20s or Eddie plugs. And so, you know, they said, you should do this. Because um, you know all these people in the music business, and they might listen to you being a DJ. And, and so um, that was seven years ago when they approached me, and you know they said you could just private label name whatever you wanted. And so I'm like, all right, I'll do it. I'll call them your love. And so it's been since um, 2004 that I've been um, advocating hearing protection through earlobes. And when I first started earlobes, I couldn't give them away. You know, like hearing protection wasn't in the minds of others, um, let alone a pair of earplugs that cost $15. You know, people are used to dollar earplugs. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it, was, it was a bit of an uphill battle at first, but I'm really encouraged because I'm seeing more and more people either wearing hi-fi hearing protection or wanting to know more about hearing protection and, and what they can do to develop safe habits. So I guess all in all, I've been advocating hearing protection for eight years now. And uh, just this past summer, um, Edimotic approached me to see if I would come on board and work for them um, full-time being their hearing protection advocate. So a lot of my work this year with Etymotic, I, I still reach out to the dance community and the rock community through Earlove. But with Etymotic, I, I run a program called Adopt a Band, and, and that's an outreach program to young musicians, the junior high, high school musicians, mm -hmm. um, and teaching them safe practicing and listening habits. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, <clears throat> it's very interesting. You know, I was uh, you know reading some of the. Uh, the information you have on your, you know, on your website, uh, earlove.net, uh, I believe it is, right? Mm-hmm. And um, 
just really interesting things. Some things that you know, uh, you're you know, before we started uh, recording here, you were talking about you know some of the uh, you know your dosage of of loudness, you know, or uh, of uh, of sound, and some of the things you have noted here. I was looking at uh, you know what what is safe sound. You know, nightclub four hours, concert two hours, and that's that's with um, you know with ear with ear love hearing you know, protection. That's right. with hearing protection. So that's just that's just kind of amazing to me to think about that, and it's probably something that uh, you know you uh, you've encountered before, where where people are kind of amazed you know at that. And you know, I was wondering because um, one of the things that you talk about you know practice safe sound, be true to your ears, and I was wondering. Uh, what you think is the main reason, you know, why more fans, you know, don't take steps to protect their hearing, you know, and uh, you kind of mentioned. Um, I think it's because they're unaware of, A, how loud it really is, and how loud is too loud, and then how long you're around these loud songs. Uh, hearing, hearing damage or noise-induced hearing loss is accumulative, so, like, like for the day, for instance, um, if if I've reached my limit of noise exposure, I wear a dosimeter. So if if I reach my 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 limit in an hour, if I walk away and, and go to a quiet room for an hour, it doesn't take away that hour of exposure already. Hmm. So like once you hit your limit, that's it. You, you know, you're done for the day. And I think a lot of people just don't realize like like if I'm in a club, I can I can tell you it's in a few dBs of how loud it is, and it's just because I'm so used to carrying around um, uh, a dB monitor or an SBL meter. So like I can tell how loud it is, and a lot of people they don't really know how loud it is or how long. Um, they're really allowed to be exposed. So, like, you know, if you're in a club and you see all kinds of signs that say, warning, the Surgeon General says if you're pregnant, you shouldn't do or things like that. But there's nothing anywhere about sound levels and what are safe exposure limits. And I'm not, I don't think, like, the party or the, the noise should be turned down. I mean, you know, everyone knows I like a party, and that's why I'm in this position. <laughs> you know, I like loud music. It feels good. Um, mm -hmm. But it's like people just don't realize, you know, how loud things are and how long they're safe for. So, yeah, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's educating. Once you tell a person, oh, like anything over 85 dB, I mean, 85 dB is like a, a subway um, or, you know, a loud restaurant. And, and the standards are you can be, um, you can get up to eight hours of noise exposure. 85, the, 80, the decibel level is 85. You're safe for up to eight hours. So um, when it three more decibels, when it goes to 88, your exposure time is cut in half. So you're only safe for four hours. So by each three dB up, it's it's cut in half. So when you get when you get you know you add those three dB up, you know when you get towards 97. I can't do the math fast in my head, but hmm. you know up towards 97 dB, you're only safe for 15 minutes. You know. Yeah, so yeah, the yeah. pressure is double, so your exposure time is cut in half. Wow. 
Yeah. So most clouds, most clouds are over 100 dB. Hmm. I mean, I I haven't been in a, a nightclub or a dance club that hasn't been close to 100 dB um, on the low side. You know, usually they they they're somewhere between 100 and 110. So. Yeah, it's interesting. And then when you, know, you get closer you, to the speakers, forget it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I was I was talking to someone uh, the other day, you know, about our our trip to Austin. He was telling me about, uh, you know, he was at a um, uh, concert. Uh, I believe it was um, Iron Butterfly, and he was talking about how he, you know, his jaw dropped because he saw one of the one of the guys score it up to the uh, the speaker and like crawl kind of right into the air into the area, you know, and he had this like big sense of pleasure in there and and then uh, you mentioned something earlier about you know you know that the loudness you know there's a there's a pleasure factor that's that's going on there but it's it's interesting too because that you know that pleasure is the same thing that you know can you know in the long run you know causes this pain i was wondering you know yeah the duality of nature that would give you so much yeah. pleasure also gives you that much pain <laughs> yeah it's 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 you know i i'm i'm fascinated and you know all last summer i sort of started to look into the fact that you know it can't it, I, I came across a paper um and it was the seductive yet destructive effects of loud music. Um, and it's by this, this, this guy, Barry Blesser, and he does, like, all this research into the type of things that happen in your brain when you're listening to loud music. And so it kind of dawned on me, you know, like, I, I mean, I still to this day, I really love loud music, and it, there's just something that it does to me that, you know, it takes you to another place, you know, it takes you to another plane. And so, um, yeah, it, it touches on some of the same the same chemicals that, um, you know, drugs trigger in your brain. The studies are showing that loud music can trigger um, dopamine. And hmm. I can send you a link to this this paper that this guy writes. So it's fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah, it is. And there was, uh, you know, I have another a family member who, you know, she, she also, you know, has, well, pretty much lost lost her hearing as well. And and we went to the same concert and we talked afterwards. And she said something really, uh, really fascinating to me, you know, and that she she was able to see. Um, you know, see the concert differently and feel it differently because, you know, our other senses are, are enhanced. So I'm wondering, uh, you know, have you experienced the same thing as well? Like, uh, you know, as, you know, your, uh, you know, your ears haven't, you know, worked as they once did. And, you know, do you, have you experienced your other, other senses or, you know, a heightened sense of emotion, uh, you know, because of the, you know, your loss of hearing and, you know, has it kind of become like an asset in, in a way at all or with that? The only, it hasn't become an asset. I would never say that, you know, not right, a not, not in, that, or, in that way, right, but. Yeah, but um, my sense of smell and taste is, is really acute. Um, I, you know, my, my, my natural talent is cooking. Mm -hmm. um, I went to school for that before I was in music. So, but now my sense of smell is even, like, you know, I can smell anything. I can smell someone smoking a cigarette down the street hmm. from my first floor apartment. Um, but I can also, I feel like I can sense vibration or, you know, I, I'll have my hearing aids off. I can't hear a thing without them on. And um, I can feel when someone's walked into the room. 
Um, so I don't know if that's just because I'm, you know, if everyone can do that or if it's just me, but for sure my sense of smell has been enhanced. And, um, you know, I can go to a restaurant and eat something and tell you exactly, you know, what spices are in it and pretty much how it's made. Hmm. So. And what about, you know, your, uh, you know, when you're performing or, you know, DJing or, you know, doing uh, live music, you know, is there any things that you'd noticed, you know, as, um, you know, throughout your career, you know, and, you know, your different experiences, you know, that have been related to your, uh, you know, the hearing loss and, you know, other senses kicking in or, you know, other other things that maybe you, you weren't aware of early on because you, you know, you had, you had the hearing and then you didn't and then you know there you know different changes are there anything within the live music experience that you know that you've noticed that uh you know have kind of amazed you or challenged you um well it's all been challenge challenging you know um it's very difficult for me to play live shows i i play with uh two other like i do a trip-hop trio dj with violins and um, it's a struggle and it's frustrating. I have to wear, um, you know, noise isolating earphones just so I can hear everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, our gigs only last about three hours, but they're usually like the toughest hours of my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just because even though, like, I can hear through my monitors and I, and I, you know, I, I crank them up. I have special earphones actually that they're like balancers so I can turn one side up a little higher than the other one. Because one of my ears is, is, is a lot worse than the other. I only have about, you know, 5% of hearing in my one ear. And the other ear, I have about 40%. But the bad ear is where I hear all the high end. Hmm. Um, and so as soon as, if, if I can hear the high end, then my brain actually thinks I'm hearing in stereo. And then, so if I have the right earphones on and I have it up loud enough, then it's as if I don't have a hearing problem at all. Like my brain thinks I'm hearing in stereo. Hmm. Um, but otherwise, it's, it's, it's really a challenge because it, I trust my bandmates and, and they have the hearing and, and they can hear and I can hear. But it's just, un, you know, like I know it sounds good, but to know it, you have to go out in front and really know that it sounds good, you know? So it's a struggle for me to play, definitely. But, you know, I can't help it. I like to do it. <laughs> yeah, you must have, uh, I mean, it's, you know, I have you know, a lot of friends who are musicians that play music, and it's, um, you know, it's such a, uh, you know, an emotional and, you know, spiritual thing to, to play music and to play it for people, with people, and, you know, just to kind of go through that, you know, that individual experience. and. I have to imagine it's gone, you know, it's been, um, like you said, you know, a struggle to kind of, you know, deal with that as you've gone through, you know, your career and you've had to, uh, you know, had to uh, you know, adapt and, you know, find different ways to, you know, to play or, you know, it sounds like in some cases you, you know, you've kind of played through some pain, I assume, you know, in some, some instances, you know, with, you um, with that so um what what kind of uh you know conversations do you have with uh with some of the the, the bands that you mentioned earlier you know with some of the the younger bands what what kind of questions do they do they ask you you know about well you know i'm at this point where they're not really asking you know too many questions you know like Mm -hmm. me like kids really just well i think now they're more aware of hearing protection um but it's more of 
I'm presenting, like we go to them and um, what I like to say to them or like get the point across is that with, um, with the ear love or with high-side earplugs, the Eddie plugs from, from Edomotic, the thing is, is you hear better with them mm-hmm. because anything over 100 dB, your brain kind of can't process that many sounds. It, it overloads. Hmm. So when you're bringing the volume down, you can start to hear the blend better in the mix. Of, and in particular, um, I've been reaching out to marching bands and like drum corps. Hmm. And a drum line and a marching band line, it's like 120 dB, which is almost as loud as a jet taking off. Hmm. And so these kids are exposed to to that, 100 and 100 between 110 and 120 dB every day for at least an hour a day indoors. So what I try to say to them is sort of give them the math um, and give them the facts and and then sort of let them, you know, decide for themselves. Like, I hate to, I, I hate to be the party pooper, you know? <laughs> I want everyone to enjoy music, and especially with these young musicians, be able to play for years to come. Because when you start to lose your hearing, if you can't, if you can't tell the pitch of something, then your career is over, you know? Like, for me, I'm a DJ, um, you know, I just need to hear the beats. You know, it's really, I I could play just feeling the beats of the vibration, but there's so much more to that when you're a musician and you're playing with other musicians and you need to play in key, you know. Hmm. So, and and you're like, nobody, you know, nobody could have told me, like, no one can prepare you for what it's like to not be able to hear. And, And so... I, you know, I, I'll go there with the kids if they ask or if they say, oh, I don't need them and oh, I'm not going to lose my hearing. Then I'll just sort of like put my hair behind my ears and show them my two, you know, I've got the biggest hearing aids to make. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, then they sort of listen. And, you know, like I said, I was, I, I was exposed to a lot of loud music because of, you know, managing poi and touring and then with my own gigs. But, um, you know, I wasn't exposed every day. Hmm. Um, you know, toy shows were few and far between. At the most, maybe we would tour for a couple weeks straight, but I was never in the front of house that long, you know? Right, right. So, and not everyone, you know, not every, some some people's ears are tougher than others, you know? Right. Uh, so some people are more susceptible, but I will say this, that there are more people like our age with hearing loss than there are like senior citizens now. Hmm. And hearing loss is an, is an epidemic in, in the United States. There's, and one in five teens are leaving high school with a hearing loss. So... You know, I got my first when I was 32, and it was just, like, the most bizarre thing. I mean, I might have been the youngest person, Hmm. you know, in the audiology apartment, so. Wow. Now, is that, uh, you, you believe that's from, you know, people, you know, having the earbuds and the iPods and all kind of stuff, and then combined with the, you know, with the going to concerts and things like that, or is that just... Yeah, a, I think it's a mixture like a, of everything. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, like, I think, um, I think it's, it's, it's a, a mixture of, like, I don't want to get on the old, you know, the iPods are making you deaf. Um, it's how loud people are listening that are making them, um, 
you know, get hearing loss. And and I'm of the mind that to listen safely, you need to isolate your ears so you don't have to turn the volume up as much. Hmm. So, like, for instance, like, the only way I can still DJ now is that as I wear the noise-isolating earphones, so... Nothing from outside is coming in, and I'm only hearing what I'm playing and what the violin players are playing. Hmm. Um, a lot of kids use their iPods, and, and they use the, the iPod buds that come with, mm-hmm. and they just sort of sit in your ear. And if if you're mowing the lawn, if kid's mowing the lawn, he's got his iPod buds in. Well, the lawnmower is 90, 100 dB. So he's going to turn his music up louder than that so he can hear it, and that's when you start to, you know. Gotcha. The more, yeah. it's, a, it's a cumulative uh, thing that, that, that happens more, more, than, more times than not, then, is what you're saying. Right. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, really crappy earphones and headphones out there. It's sort of like a race to the bottom. <laughs> you know, people spend, you know, a lot of money on me for personal music devices, iPods and iPads and MP3 players. And, and then, so they spend a lot of money on the actual device and then they used you know, it's like buying this great stereo system, but, you know, buying $5 speakers with them, you know? Right. So I'm of the mind you need a good set of earphones, like high-fidelity earphones, um, earphones that don't have enhanced bass, you know, because there's already, you know, records that are already EQ'd and mastered to sound like a certain thing. And then when you get these, uh, especially earbuds that don't seal your ear, the engineers sort of try to make up for the bass that you might lose. Um, and so they're, they're enhancing all the earphones with extra bass. You just really don't need that, that close to your ear. So... Yeah, another, another, another thing that I would, would point out is in terms of listening to your um, iPod and MP3 players, really you shouldn't, you know, you, you've got the volume 1 to 10. I wouldn't, you really shouldn't turn it up past 6, mm-hmm. you know, for longer periods of time. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, interesting things to think about, you know, and some of the, um, we, we've done some experiments, uh, well, I guess I, I have. Uh, Colleen hasn't done a lot of these, uh, you know, for the uh, on live fix. But <clears throat> I've always been curious of, you know, all the different emotions or uh, the different senses that we have. You know, the sight, sound, taste, touch. You know, all those. Um, you know, the five senses and the connection to the emotions. And uh, we've done some experiments where, you know, we've isolated one. You know, I've went to a radio head show and blindfolded myself and kind of took the eyes out of the picture and then kind of see how that impacted it. You know, and and I'm wondering what uh what your thoughts are on you know the connection between uh, you know uh between hearing and you know and emotions you know and how there's different things that get triggered when when the eyes are involved or when they're not or when the ears are involved you know and, and wondering what what you know some of the big connections that that you've felt or you've experienced you know as far as connecting the emotions you know to our sense of hearing and and kind of what role you know they they play well, in uh you know in a concert experience um like unfortunately for me um i i just get really sad you know i'll go out to um a show and you know it it, it affects me emotionally just because i'm reminded of 
what I've lost. Um, you know, I can't go and have a carefree time at a concert and get lost in it anymore. Hmm. You know, um, so my emotions as they connect to my hearing are, are you know, I need a therapist for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel as, as best I can, but I, I, you know, I can't comment on it other than, um, um, it's, it's, it's very isolating. Hmm. Very isolating. I, I can't. I can't go out and meet somebody. You know, I can't make small conversation with some with anybody. So you can't whisper in my ear. You know, it's like little things like that. Hmm. Um, when I do take my hearing aids off, um, unfortunately, I don't have silence. I have tinnitus. Hmm. And I, I'm always, you know, so the hearing aid comes out and, you know, you would hope that silence is golden and it's not. It's just an annoying, in one ear it's an annoying high-pitched frequency. <laughs> and then the other ear I just developed another tone, which is, it's, uh, and I've only had it in the last couple of months, only when I'm really stressed out or really tired. Um, but I, I get this, this noise in my ear, which is the exact tone that my hearing aids make when the battery is going out. Like I got back from South by Southwest uh -huh. last Sunday, and I'm trying to take a nap, and, and I'm hearing the buzz. I'm like, did I leave my hearing aid in? Is the battery going out? And I check, and it's not even in. So, hmm. um, not fun. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I could talk about smile and emotional, you know, but for hearing to me, it's it's just a big bag of worms hmm. um, as far as my emotions go. Because it's, it's, you know, I don't sit there and cry every day. Um, it's it's not fun, but I'm, you know, every day goes, there's not one day that goes by where I'm not frustrated. Um, and now that it works, you know, I sort of just DJed and made art for 10 years, and I took a full-time job where I go to an office now, and I actually have to interact with people all day, and um, I, I, I have to, I, like, get tense just trying to listen to people, so I'm starting to... You know, I'm starting to learn to not, like, strain to hear, because whether I strain or not, I can't hear. So I've been having, like, you know, back problems and stress problems just related to trying to hear hmm. and trying to communicate with people. So, Do you have someone that, uh, that coaches you on those types of things, or is that something that you just kind of picked up and, you know, adapted um, to? How do you deal with that on, on, on a daily basis? Or I mean, it sounds like a... Well, I just sort of like, you know, I've been having all these back problems and, like, stressed out. I'm not the type that gets stressed out. I'm, I'm extremely carefree. I don't, I don't worry, you know, yeah. about much. And, you know, I've just been a little more stressed and my back has been hurting me. So, um, you know, I was getting massages. Nothing was helping. So then I went to see this... Um, this doctor and we just talked about everything I've been going through the last year and kind of figured it out. You know, he could tell just by me talking to him and listening that I was just getting tense, just trying to listen, you know, so, you know. Yeah, you know, as far as, um, you know, I imagine, you know, you you have a huge uh, passion for music and, you know, especially, you know, playing live and all those types of things. And, you know, what um, what, what are some of your most, you know, memorable concert experiences? I mean, do you go back and, you know, what are some mm -hmm. of your most, uh, you know, treasured moments, you know, at, at shows and, you know, kind of? Uh, 
going back to those. I moments. would say um, my top number one concert experience is Orbital at the Metro. Hmm. Um, it, it just blew my mind. I, I had more of my hearing then, but there's this like amazing like bass sensation that myself and I, I went with Frank Oral, the leader from Boy Dog, and we were both just like, you know, looking at each other like, oh my God, this is the shit. You know, I've never experienced like, it was physical, and there were just two guys up there, you know, hmm. um, making all this like just amazing racks and racks and racks of gear, you know, it was before everyone had um, all the software and their computers, you know. <laughs> this is like, I think it was 1999 where people still had like racks of sound modules. Hmm. So it, I, Orbital was my number one concert experience and then I really enjoyed um, Lauren Hill. I saw her at the Chicago Theater. Hmm. Um, and then another one of my favorite concerts, I hate to be vain, but um, my trip hop trio played... Um, to a sold out room at the Fillmore in San Francisco and that was just you know just a treat to be able to play on that stage and have a thousand people just clapping and you know getting into this music that I selected <laughs> you know I, I was with the trip hop trio so it was a, at the time that was a violinist a cellist and myself but hmm. like you know it was just like I say who gets to play at the Fillmore to a sold out show so that was exciting. Yeah, yeah. Was, I got to uh, play once at Buckingham Fountain. They shut, they like blocked it off. Huh. Um, and I got to play at Buckingham Fountain. Like, actually, in the fountain? I played a lot of really cool, weird uh, places. Hmm. What was so, that? You played in, actually, in the fountain? Like, um, like they sort of, they closed off and they made everything private around the fountain and it was for a big pharmaceutical company. I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> uh, we got there and they're like, oh, it's a big pharmaceutical company because who else could, like, close off Buckingham Fountain <laughs> for 5,000 people? <laughs> but it was pretty cool to be, you know, to have the fountain behind me and the beautiful city. I played a, uh, Trump Towers last summer, and that was pretty fun. We played outside on, I don't know what floor it was, but that, it's pretty cool. I played a lot of great places in Chicago, like weird private party spots and the rooftops of, you know, skyscrapers, so hmm. I feel really lucky. music fans i want to thank everybody for listening to this edition of live fix radio and 
Again, you can check out all the show notes, uh, including links to uh, earlove.net, thrillcall.com, and everything else that we've talked about in the podcast, uh, including all the music news, all that kind of stuff. And as always, if you guys have stories uh, that you're you know, experiencing, something you want to get off your chest you know, about the live music experience, good, bad, or ugly, whatever it is, uh, we want to share that uh, that uh, opinion, that story, wh- wh- whatever you got for us, uh, we, we want to share it on the, on the podcast here. We'd love to hear from you. So go to livefixblog.com, click on the About page, and you'll have some information there that you guys can uh, check out and uh, respond to. And again, we want to thank uh, Carolyn Travis and uh, Courtney with uh, Thrill Call for sharing their stories. And make sure to stay tuned for our next podcast where we go into part two of our uh, emotional uh, concert uh, series uh, experience where we're going to get into the mixing of drugs and live music and kind of see where that takes us. So again, thanks for, thanks for tuning in, and here's some more music uh, to send you on your way.
brilliant send-off. Thank you very much. I love you. Cheers, you've been brilliant.